In the last episode, we considered the challenges of applying to schools internationally in light of the pandemic. But what do the best college consultants do to address these issues? What universals exist in college application, and what can they instruct us about how to best go about the process with our own teenage applicants? Welcome to the Highway to Higher Ed, the podcast that considers issues facing students applying to college as they attempt to make the transition into higher education. I'm your host, Alex W. Merrill. I'm joined today by independent college counselor and educational consultant, Becky Grappo. Becky is the founder of RNG International Educational Consultants. As a certified educational planner, she has guided families around the world with educational planning for their children for almost 20 years. But talking about the end goals for a student's education, she helps plan the strategy and enable the student to meet those goals. Well known in the field of international education and global mobility, Becky is also an expert in child and adolescent development and parenting, and a published writer and frequent presenter on various issues related to education, transitions, and resiliency for audiences around the world. Becky holds a Bachelor of Arts in International Studies and a BA in German from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. She earned her teacher's certification and Master's of Education from George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, and her certificate in college counseling from University of California, Los Angeles Extension. Tell me a little bit about your career history and uh, how you got into college counseling. Well, first of all, my undergraduate major has nothing to do with what I'm doing today, which is a message for kids. And I had an undergraduate major in international studies, wanted to do something international. I went back to grad school, became um, an educator, went back overseas, taught internationally, came back to the U.S., taught in a public school in Northern Virginia, and then ended up working for the State Department as the education and youth officer. And there I started working with families on all kinds of educational issues with their families as they were moving their kids around the world. I eventually went on and got my certification in college counseling from UCLA, and then joined professional organizations, traveled a ton, and the rest is how it all unfolded. But I'm always telling kids, this is how you don't know where the road is going to lead, but you somehow connect the dots if you're doing what you really love to do. Sure thing. Your mission statement at RNG basically says that you transform lives by providing innovative solutions through expert educational advice for students and families around the world. Sort of unique versatility, I think, to serve a variety of students from a lot of different cultural backgrounds seems to make you stand out. Can you kind of explain uh, what type of methods you do to, to appeal to such a diverse set of kids? Yeah, well, the first thing is that no matter who the kids are and where they're from, it's all about the relationship. We do that the same way we do it with any other student that we have, right, is to get to know them and to ask questions and to ask them more questions about their families and their backgrounds and their cultures. And one of the questions I have in my questionnaire for new students is, tell me about your values. What are the things that are really important to you? Of course, we always have to also assess academic records and understanding what it is that they want and balancing their hopes and dreams with some of the reality of what they might face as they are looking at university admissions around the world. It's a balancing act, but 
that's where it starts. It all starts with the relationship. What is the difference between applying to international schools versus uh, schools in the United States? In many other countries in the world, it's just very straightforward. Here's the application. Here are the grades that you need to have earned. Maybe there will be some entrance testing or exit leaving exams that you take as you graduate from your national system. And either you're in or you're out. And in some places, it's very, very rigorous. So, for example, people talk about in France and Germany, you're leaving exams. So either the French baccalaureate or the German abitur, you have to score a certain mark or else you're not going to advance to the next stage. And it's very clear what the expectations are. When you apply to the United States, we have this convoluted process. Canada is not that difficult. The UK is not that difficult. We have all these different components that are pretty intimidating to Americans, let alone for those who don't understand our system at all. So I recently had a conversation with some parents who were totally unfamiliar with the American system where I partnered with the school counselor and we explained what is the school profile and why does that matter? What do we mean by rigorous curriculum? What do we mean by telling your story through your essay and the supplemental questions? And what do we mean by why are activities even important because other countries don't care? What, why is that important to us? And then trying to explain to them selectivity and how that varies institution to institution. And no, it's not really cut and dry. You're not going to find that on the website. You just have to kind of know it. It's really confusing for them. And now they think because everything is test optional that you just it's so much easier and it's not. There are big differences. No, I mean, because the focus is now more centered on those other sort of radial items. It's interesting in hearing you talk about that. It seems like um, the American system focuses more on like narrative almost, right? I mean, it, it, it wants to uh, understand the story of a person versus the sort of objective marks of them. Yes, and there are advantages and disadvantages advantages to that whole system. I mean, we call it a holistic review. So on the one hand, it does allow students to tell their story if there's any kind of compelling circumstance and colleges are going to evaluate applications, as they always say, in context. But in other countries, you either make the score or you don't, and they don't really care whether or not you have a story to explain why you didn't. But I also think that it's so much more subjective in the U.S., and that's what makes it a little bit harder to explain to people who are not used to this, including to other Americans who don't fully understand why sometimes it's so difficult to predict. When we're talking about kids from internationally applying to, to you know, schools in the United States, what are the things that you have to keep in mind for those sort of various regions as far as like Central America, Middle East, Europe? What sort of sticks out to you there? Well, several things. First of all, where have they gone to school? Do they offer the international baccalaureate curriculum? Do they offer the American curriculum? Are they for-profit schools? Are they not-for-profit schools on the, the range of international schools? Where are they on that? You know, are they among the most respected, most rigorous, or are they some of those that just slap the name on the building and really are for-profit machines that aren't providing what they say they're providing? So, there's a lot to understand in the world of international schools. And then, of course, you have the local schools, and the local schools might be very, very rigorous. However, in many countries around the world, it's very much rote learning. So we used to call that the sage on the stage. The teacher knows everything. You need to remember what the teacher said and regurgitate it on the exam, and you don't ask questions, and you don't challenge. 
whereas in an American style of education, even secondary education, the teacher is using more of a Socratic method to try to draw out the thinking of a student and asking questions and asking students to answer those questions and leading them to thinking about the answer instead of giving them the answer. So like if you're in a top American or international school that is one of the crown jewels in the international system, those students are prepared. But what I see sometimes with students who don't have access to that level of school is that they may not be as fully prepared to do the critical, well, first of all, the reading skills, the writing skills, the critical thinking skills, the problem solving skills, the analysis. And that is hard to explain if they've never experienced it and why they're so fixated on numbers. If I pass the SAT, am I going to get in? And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't pass the SAT. It's hard for them to understand. And there's a lot of education that goes into this when you're talking not only to the students, but then their parents about why this is so very different. What is your favorite part about the college process? The relationship with the students, for sure. Being a trusted adult who can be at the side of a teenager as they're going through such an important developmental stage of their life and then to see them receive the results for all their hard work and to sometimes just be there to talk as someone to talk to them when they're really having a hard time with the mm, stress of mm-hmm, school and everything. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that part of it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I've actually talked about this too with some other educational consultants, the, the, the sort of crossover with counseling. I mean, I think it's very closely related to sort of uh, to mental health almost because it's such a sort of critical decision in their life and very stressful too. I mean, I think it can draw out some sort of psychological issues because, you know, of the areas that it touches in their lives. Are you talking about parents? <laughs> well, I guess both. I mean, I think, yeah, well, both. yeah, I mean, you, well, you bring up another issue in that. I'm not sure we can extract, uh, extricate those two things. I don't think you can pull apart the parent and the child. They've grown together. I mean, I, I think the parents are involved. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, and I mean that because I'm a parent too. And I also have feelings of anxiety about my children and their well being. Even though they're adults and grown up now, I don't right. think you ever stop until your last breath uh, <laughs> worrying oh about boy. your kids, right? Right. But I do think that sometimes, you know, parents get anxious as well and they want reassurance that it's all going to be okay. When working with students, there are times when they feel like I have to light a fire under them to say, okay, I need you to take this seriously. And then with some of the students, I need to say, you really need to not be so hard on yourself. (laughs) Because it is inextricably linked to mental health and I've had some students who have had to temporarily drop out of the process because their mental health is just not putting them in a situation where they're able to really focus on this and they need to take time out. You do cover both private high school and college placements. Could you just sort of compare and contrast those two processes? The process is very much similar and that I have to really get to know the students so that I can make recommendations that are going to be appropriate for that particular student and that student's interests and aptitudes and abilities and just like for college. What's different about it is that the parents will probably be much more involved because the kids are younger. 
and I'm going to be much more involved with the admissions office than I would be with college. In college, I'm kind of invisible behind the scenes. With boarding school, I'm very often talking to admissions offices about a particular student or setting up a visit. And that relationship that I have with admissions offices is also really rewarding for me. So I enjoy boarding school as well a lot. Are there any uh, stories of sort of triumph or failure that you could share with us? I remember one time there was some anti-educational consultant piece in the New York Times, and they were saying, I never needed a consultant. I got myself into Yale, and I didn't need anybody, and I got my backup, and I wrote my response to the letter to, letter to the editor, and it was published, just saying, that's great. I'm really glad that that individual was able to do it completely on their own. That's really great. But guess what? What about the kids sitting in the back row of the classroom with 30, 35 students in it that never even thought they were going to go to college? Did anybody pay attention to them? Did anybody support them, encourage them, look at their writing, hear their story? That's also what educational consultants do. It's not just about marketing and packaging kids to get into fancy schools. It's about holistic approach to all kinds of students, and that to me is the triumph. One thing that stuck out to me in the first segment of my conversation with Becky Grappo was the differences between international applicants and domestic applicants from the United States. And in applying to schools in the United States, really the focus is more narrative. Internationally, it seems to be far more focused on numbers, grades. I wonder what that says about our culture, uh, how obsessed America is with stories. Another thing that stuck out to me in talking to Becky really was just her sophistication in terms of her background, being able to be so culturally fluent. It reminds me of the difference between an average educational consultant and amazing one. If you are seeking that top tier of educational consultant, you want somebody who is incredibly experienced with all different regions because they're just going to be that much more qualified in placing you in the place that you belong. One of Alliance's focus points is supporting kids in the transition from high school to college. What are your thoughts on how to best support kids as they make that leap into higher education? Lots of things. So academically, students have to understand the difference between the work requirements and expectations of high school education and what the expectations are when they get to college. I see a lot of students that are have strong grades, but in my opinion, are probably going to need extra help when it comes to reading for comprehension and reading complex text, especially because I think fewer students read today. They find other outlets for their time. I think also students are going to get, um, there's a steep learning curve to understanding the expectations for writing at the college level versus what they have done in high school. And especially if they're coming from big public high schools where teachers don't have time to grade 180 papers totally. a day. They're not going to have the experience that it's going to take to be a really accomplished writer. I think that's going to take time. 
And then I worry about the other and analytical critical thinking skills. So the, the higher level thinking skills that they're going to need in college. For a lot of students that there is an adjustment when they go to college, just getting used to the increased expectations. And they're not used to writing different styles of writing that are expected of them either. Like they need a lot of work with that. And then I think the other thing that really is hard for students when they get to college is the amount of independence and studying effectively, not just standing there staring at their book, but really making the best use of their time Mm -hmm. and study Mm -hmm. skills. I think there are all challenges for them. It's not just about how well they're going to do. It's about, are they going to show up for class on time? Are they going to make sure their bills are paid? Do they know drop ads? Do they understand that they have to check their mail, both email and spam mail? Like, do they understand how to right. manage money? Right. All those things. Like, are, are you going to, is that the kid that's not going to go to class because they ran out of clothes? And there's the social part. Can you make friends? Can you manage your time and balance the expectations? Oh, I'm free. I can do what I want with being responsible. And then I think finding their niche in campus, like I think it's really important for them to find good people to be around, kind people to be around, and not just hang out with the people who are going to be cool and have access to the fun of parties and have looking and other attributes. Right. When I see kids who don't make it, because we also work with that, a lot of times the reasons why they come home is not because they're not smart enough, but because they weren't able to manage all the moving parts and maybe they got behind. And then when they got behind, they stopped going to class, which made them further behind. And then maybe they partied a little bit too much. The substances can get in the way. And then lastly, they're lonely. So a lot of kids really struggle with anxiety and depression and yep. making those strong social connections because they just get lonely. It's such a tough time, you know, because, I mean, if you were to point to, to, to one moment where it's like, okay, you're going to stop being a child now, like, and you're going to go into being an adult, you know, really it's, it's, it's at that time when you move out. And that has a lot of repercussions, I think, in terms of identity. I'm glad that you don't see the college process as an end point. No, we want to see you graduate, <laughs> not just get in, but we want to see you graduate. And after you graduate, we want to see you go on to the next phase of your life, whether that's grad school or a yeah. year off or gainful employment. Um, I think there's a lot of things to talk about with regards to student debt and how much you're going to make when you get out of college. What do you do to make the most of your college years? So it's not the name of the college that's going to determine your experience, what you do when you get there. So do you know the people in career services? Do you know that your advisor, are you listening to that advice? Are you engaged in activities that are going to contribute to your character development, research opportunities with professors, going to office hours? I'm talking to some of my students about how to communicate with adults. So let's talk about how to write an email and how to write an adult not like you do your test. What are some of the unique challenges, I guess, today in transitioning to college because of the pandemic? I think a lot of students are going to struggle with keeping a schedule and showing up and kind of performing the way society expects them to throughout a day. Showing up on time, being presentable, interacting socially again, I think is going to be a challenge. 
I think for some of them, getting their sleep schedule back on to the rest of the world is going to be a challenge because they could do things in the middle of the night, you know, be up all night, sleep during the day. I think getting on a regular schedule for some is going to be a challenge. What are uh, some of the obstacles that the parents are facing today as far as uh, admissions? Um, and particularly, how has the pandemic shaped the college admissions? I think there's a couple parts to that question. So first of all, I think one of the biggest obstacles parents are facing is financing a college education. I mean, it's really daunting to think about how you're going to pay for a college education, especially if you have more than one child. So I think parents are really worried about that. I always invite them to have that conversation early in the process. But we need to be talking about money because if you take out money, you have to repay that money. So I think parents are worried about finances. I think they're also very anxious about their children being ready for the future that is uncertain and competitive. I think that the driver of the angst is that my children, my child is not going to be ready to compete in a very, very difficult competitive world. And therefore, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they are ready by attending the best school he or she can possibly get into. I think that that's a very narrow definition of what will lead to their future success when we have conversations about that. But I think underneath it all is anxiety about the future. I think the other thing, too, is just to remember that sometimes kids are on a different maturational timeline. It just made me really stop and reflect about making sure we give every kid a chance. And when you say give give them a chance, I don't think you just mean uh, be open-minded. I think you mean uh, give them a chance to struggle for a while <laughs> um, yeah, and give them a chance to do it on their own. You know what I mean? But also give them a chance to believe in themselves for their education, that they too are deserving of, of the opportunity to go to some version of higher ed. One point that I think bears further focus is the challenge in terms of transition is a holistic one. It's not any one area in particular, whether that's executive function, whether that's personal, whether that's adjusting to different expectations. It's all of those things combined that really can short circuit kids in the first semester. All the more reason to really bear down on that first semester they get there and develop some confidence in what they're doing. I don't think I can repeat that enough. One of the interesting points that we brought up in regards to the pandemic was the sort of shift back to in-person school and all of the complexities of that. For kids who are introverts, they're gonna be asked to come back out of the cave. And I think it's gonna be a return back to having to cope with that, that challenge for introverts, uh, regenerating, taking care of themselves. Uh, taking breaks. There's going to be a lot of rust on the old uh, socializing engine, I think, for, for a lot of people. That's going to be a big challenge. That might be the biggest challenge uh, of coming out of the pandemic. What do you think uh, college admissions is going to look like in five or 10 years from now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can only guess. I'll throw out some guesses. And if you want to sure. come back yeah. and check well, in in five years, yeah. we'll kind of see. Well, I mean, nobody knows, right? But Nobody knows, yeah. yeah. 
I think we do know a certain, we knew we know a few things. We know that the number of college going students in the United States is diminishing. Just sheer numbers, birth rates. Those who are turning, you know, the, the ages needed to go to college is declining because of the birth rate 18 years ago. So we know that. I think that the implications of that is that I think some of these really smaller niche colleges are either going to need to merge with a bigger institution or they're not going to make it. I think uh, colleges are in the process right now of talking about what they have learned during the pandemic as much as the focus has been on how has the college admissions process changed for students during the pandemic? Colleges are also talking about how has the admissions funnel changed for us because of the mm -hmm. pandemic. Mm -hmm. If we don't mm -hmm. buy as many names from the ACP and the college board, we've diminished our number of leagues that we have. If we're not going to high schools, if we're not going to college fairs, if students aren't coming on campus, we are upending the predictive models that we were being that we were using before. I heard that from a director of admissions at a very well-known university in a conference session. He was talking about how his university, which is a big name university, has had their system upended as well. So I think that colleges are gonna to have to figure out too, like how do we find and attract the students that we really want and need? Well, that's funny because when you were telling that story, I was thinking you were talking about a smaller, sort of lesser known university that's struggling with getting people in the door. Oh, they're not struggling to get people in the door. They saw, I mean, they're good on their admission stats because the name, they're going to be well, able yeah, to ride the sure. wave for a while. They can pay the bills. Know. Yeah. Right. That's not it. Enrollment management is a master's degree. And it's mostly, from what I understand, a master's degree in predictions and, you know, being able to do those, do the mathematical modeling to how do you get people from being an inquiry through that admissions funnel to actually enrolling. Mm. So I think for them, you know, that they're concerned, I think there might be some modifications. Maybe it will be more online, that there might be more classes, that they'll be using that as a way of connecting the world in ways that they couldn't do before because people are more comfortable with Zoom. So I think they'll be able to bring in guest speakers and collaborate around the world in ways they couldn't before. That's a positive. I think there might be more experiential learning in order to make it relevant to people. I also think that um, colleges are going to have to think about affordability and modifying the way people earn degrees because this traditional model of September to May, June, and summers off is really lovely, but not many people are going to be able to afford it anymore. So how can we make this faster and more affordable? And I think people are going to be demanding that it be more relevant to job skills. Now, my fear is that there might be less emphasis on the liberal arts, which I think are also critical to a healthy society as people think about jobs. So anyway, I just think these are all going to be really big challenges for universities moving forward. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Let's come back in five years and talk about it. Here are my three key takeaways from my conversation with Becky Grappo. First, this idea that there's a, an evolution towards more professional degrees with colleges adjusting their strategies to uh, help fill that need. That's true. Uh, I think the, the world is 
moving towards a more niche oriented structure where everybody is sort of specialized in one skill that has some sort of practical application. I think our mechanical expertise or what we accomplish is going to be incredible, but I think we might lose something spiritually at the same time. Second, the uh, diversity of the high school experience seems to me to make placement very difficult. If you are a college admissions officer at Trinity or Wesleyan, I mean, you're not going to split hairs between one public high school in Utah and another in California. How could you possibly, even if you're doing that you know, for years, if you're going through applications like that to be able to weigh those things all out and to develop an algorithm for, you know, comparing high schools. I don't think it's possible. So to me, the natural consequence of that is that grades aren't going to matter as much. They can't. I mean, if you, you take into account that these schools are so dramatically different in their standards, grades can't matter as much. So that makes everything else in the application matter that much more. Lastly, in thinking about comparing international institutions with uh, domestic ones, those in the United States, it strikes me that the direction of things that I mentioned earlier, the, the sort of specialization, really fits better in an international type school. Narratives and three-dimensionality do not matter as much if you're de designing motherboards you know, a more objective approach to application and to education, having the answers and not having the answers would actually seem to fit a bit more as, as odious as that sounds to me as a, as someone with a liberal, a liberal, liberal arts background. I wonder if, if that's the direction of the world, what's going to become of the, of the system in the United States uh, as it continues to get pushed by uh, that demand from the world? Thanks for listening to Highway to Higher Ed, the podcast that helps the parents of today's rising college stars navigate the obstacles in college admissions to find the best possible college match and help them thrive once they get there. If you like this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm.